Amen. I'd like to ask you to turn with me this morning in your Bibles again to the book of Romans, chapter number 5. The book of Romans, chapter number 5. And I'd like to read for your hearing verses 6 through 11. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure, or perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. I want to speak to you this morning on the security of justification. The security of justification. Security. It's a beautiful word, isn't it? Security. Baptists believe in eternal security. That once a person has been saved by the grace of God, he will forever be saved by the grace of God. Baptists do not believe that you're saved one day and you're lost the next day. And maybe down a few days later you decide to get saved again. And then you get lost again. You don't know whether you're up or whether you're down. But Baptists believe in eternal security. With one notable exception, free will Baptists don't believe that. They have a name on their church that says free will Baptist. And one of their doctrines and one of their teachings is if you don't hold on and you don't hold out, you could lose your salvation. You know, we have no problem with it as Baptists if we know the Word of God. One of the greatest reasons why we believe in once really saved, always really saved, is because of who does the saving. If man does the saving, then he could lose what he got. But if the Lord does the saving, he will keep forever what he has. Eternal security. The security of justification. If you've been watching television this week and last week, you have noticed there was a young man on trial for capital murder. His name was Kyle Rittenhouse. 18 years of age. 
He was charged with five counts of first degree murder. And that trial rocked on day after day after day. He would be allowed to talk for himself and he would be judged by a jury of his peers. The jury found him innocent. And the judge responded, not guilty. So great was the emotional aspect of that, that it dropped this 18-year-old young man to his knees. It was more than he could absorb. Not guilty. Not guilty. Justification is a judicial act whereby God pronounces and declares a sinner righteous. There is a tremendous difference between that illustration and the illustration of what happened to Mr. Rittenhouse. In our situation, we have to say, Lord, we're guilty. The Bible teaches we're guilty. We know we're guilty. And if you men don't believe you're guilty, ask your wife. And yet, while we were yet sinners and knew we were guilty, God, the judge of heaven and earth, said, not guilty. And made a judicial record that will go throughout eternity, not guilty and free from all charges. It ought to drive us to our knees that the God of glory knowing how depraved we are still justified us freely from all things don't discount the beautiful meaning of the word justification it's a judicial act whereby God pronounces and declares a sinner righteous He is righteous because God makes that legal pronouncement. Over the many years that I have had the privilege of preaching and serving the Lord, I have also married a lot of folk. And some of them, maybe after a little while, wished I had not have married them. And it didn't last very long. But usually and generally when a young lady and a young gentleman come down a marriage aisle and the preacher begins to make the ceremony of being joined in marriage and so forth and so on, they're not married legally until a pronouncement is made. And that pronouncement comes from one who represents the state or the government. When the preacher said, based on what you say, I pronounce that you're husband and wife. It's a pronouncement. Never get away from the fact that justification is not a result of our works. 
Justification is God Almighty for whatever reason, my dear friends, had mercy on poor sinners and pronounced them righteous in his sight. Last week I spoke to you on the benefits of justification from verses 1 through 5. What do we have because we have been justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? He mentions about six things here. Number one, verse one, we have peace with God. Number two, we have access into grace. Number three, we have a standing in grace. And in that same verse 2, we have a joyful hope being justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And number 5, we have the love of God in our hearts. And also in verse number 5, we have the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. All of those benefits to those who have been justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I said last Sunday, not talking about future benefits, we're talking about present benefits. From the day you're saved till God called you to heaven, you have these things as a child of God. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. You ought to be shouting this from the rooftops. Praise God for a wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who could have justly sent me to hell, but had mercy on me and saved me and justified me freely from all things. Next Sunday, I plan to speak on the subject, the foundation of justification, to be found in verses 12 through 21. These verses explain how God can justify a sinner and still be just in doing so. How can God be right and make a statement like that, that I am righteous? However, today I want to deal with the subject of the security of justification. The soul of the saint finds his security in his justification from sin through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our security. That's the foundation. That's the bottom. That's the security of our salvation. Our sins have been canceled out. Our sin debt has been paid off. All charges against us have been dropped. And we've been set free from all condemnation. This is what justification is all about. And it involves all of the believer's sins, past, present, and future. All charges dropped. There's a verse in John 3.18. He that believeth on Christ is not condemned. People might condemn you, but the Lord will never condemn you. There was a time when he justly could have condemned you and me. 
But because we've been justified, the charges have been dropped. That gives us security. Gives us security. Our need of justification, number one, we need to be justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You take, for instance, in Romans chapter 3, it clearly establishes this truth. It sets forth the fact that we are addicted to sin. In Romans chapter 3, verse number 10, there's none righteous, no, not one. And I'll not take all the time to read the indictments. You read them for yourself. But it sets forth, we need justification from our sins. We need that. Our only hope is in justification. Something must be done about the charges against us or else we face punishment. Number one, we're described as being without strength. In verse number six, for when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Ephesians chapter two, verse one, describes the sinner as being dead in trespasses and in sins. We have no strength. We have no spiritual strength. We have no way to get to God by anything that we say or anything that we do. We can't be saved apart from justification by faith. In John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 3, no wonder the Lord Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot. He cannot see the kingdom of God. And that word see has to do with perception, meaning he cannot understand the kingdom of God. The reason he cannot see is because he's born spiritually blind. He may have 20-20 physical vision, but he can't see the end of his nose spiritually. John chapter 8, verse number 43 Christ said, why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. Not only he cannot see the kingdom of God, but he cannot hear the word. You said, does that mean he is physically deaf? No, it means he's spiritually deaf. If he comes to church, he hears a noise comes to church, he hears the noise coming from the preacher. He hears the noise coming from the music director. He hears the noise of people who want to stand up and testify. But it doesn't mean anything to him. It's just noise. Ah, but to the child of God, it's the sweetest sound of heaven. To be able to hear what other people cannot hear. In John fourteen seventeen, the Lord said, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, 
You know why the world cannot receive? Because the world is spiritually dead. And dead men don't receive anything. When you take some flowers out to the cemetery and place them on the grave of a deceased loved one, they don't receive it. They cannot receive it. Only the living receive it. But the man without Christ is dead. He cannot. Notice that word cannot, not may not, not perchance, but he cannot receive it. In Romans 8, verse 8, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. I don't think a man should have a whole lot of difficulty of knowing whether or not he's in the flesh. Uh, When you look in the mirror and see somebody, you're in the flesh. God has given this body a body of flesh. And yet they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Why is that so, church? Because, my dear friends, they are depraved in their will. Cannot please God. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, The natural man receiveth not the things of God, neither can he know them. Why is that so? Because he has a spiritually dead heart. And 2 Peter chapter 2.14, this is a tough one. They cannot cease from sin. Unsaved people cannot cease from sin. Every person who does not know the Lord is addicted to sin. They cannot see the kingdom of God. They cannot hear the word of God. They cannot receive the spirit of God. They cannot please God. They cannot know the things of God, and they cannot cease from sin. They're without strength. Not only are they without strength, but they're ungodly. Try that one on for size. See, that's what you were before the Lord saved you. You were ungodly. Do you really believe that? The Bible says so. Ungodly, ungodly people are the only God of people that God justifies. He justifies only the ungodly. Have you ever thought about this? Why are there so few people? The gospel can be preached over and over and over again to multitudes, to thousands, to tens of thousands of people, and only a pittance of a few handful come to know the Lord as Savior. Why is that so? Because they don't like to be called ungodly. 
They had much rather say, well, no, I've never joined the church before, but you're ungodly. Do you understand that? Christ died for the ungodly. If you think I'm exaggerating the message today, and you know someone who's never come to know Christ as Savior, they would profess that they've never trusted Christ. Why don't you just walk up to them and say, did you know you're ungodly? They're liable to punch you in the nose. Listen, ain't nobody ungodly. I mean, listen, we live here in the greatest nation on the face of the earth. America, the home of the brave. This is a Christian nation. And I know I may not go to church or anything like that, but don't you call me ungodly. I didn't. God did. And if the man ever sees that he's ever really ungodly, it seems like the Lord uses that to bring conviction that I'm not what I need to be. Not what I ought to be. Ungodly. We all come from ungodly parents. And they're not here to defend themselves, are they, for some case. Adam and Eve, that's where you came from. That's where I came from. And we're just like our parents. Ungodly parents produce ungodly children. Then the Bible calls us in verse 8, we're sinners. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now the Lord made it clear in Matthew 9, 13, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Did you know that sinners are the only folk that can be saved? Ungodly people without strength are the only people that can be saved. We're sinners by birth. We're sinners by practice. And we're sinners by choice. We're born that way. And wait a minute. Not only are we without strength, without Christ, without being justified, we're without strength, we're ungodly, we're sinners, but we are enemies. Is that what verse 10 says? For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Adam declared himself an enemy of God when he took the forbidden fruit. Mankind exhibited and does exhibit that they are enemies of God by crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you let Barabbas go and crucify Christ? Or will you crucify Barabbas and let Christ go? Oh, crucify Christ! We'd rather release Barabbas than for Jesus. That's the common consent of unsaved, ungodly enemy God-hating people. You know, some folks just too good to be saved. I mean that. What are your merits? The publican in the temple, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And God sent him home justified. The 
Pharisee said, I thank you that I'm not as other men are. And I do this and I do that and I go to church and I give tithes and I do all of these good things. He was never justified because we're justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, our security in justification. Our security in justification. Even when we stumble and fall, we're secure in Him. Your security does not depend on you living sinlessly because you cannot do it in this body. Your security comes from knowing that we've been pronounced sinless and righteous in the eyes of a holy God. It's a pronouncement and it's a hand of faith that receives that. Our security in justification. What is it? By the way, have you ever stumbled before? Oh, come on now, just a little bit. Just a little bit, huh? Not near as bad as some people I know. Boy, let me tell you about old wheel digger over here. When we stumble, and we will, and when we fall, and we will, he will not retract his love from us. He'll never say, Boy, I'm sorry I wasted Calvary on you. And I'm going to take it all back. You be damned and go to hell. God will never retract his love toward us. Verse number 8 says, God commendeth his love toward us. Now, Alexander McLaren has this to say about the word commendeth. He says, when Paul says commend, he uses a very significant word which is employed in two ways in the New Testament. It sometimes means to establish or to prove or to make certain. But prove is a cold word. But the expression also means to recommend to set forth in such a way as to appeal to the heart, and God does both in that great act of justification. He establishes the fact, and he, as it were, sweeps it into man's heart on the bosom of that full tide of self-sacrifice. God commendeth. By the way, that's present tense. Not one day will commend or has in times past commended, but God commendeth now. He lives in the eternal present. It is God who said to Moses, you tell them I am sent you, not I was or I will be, I am. Commendeth. In the present tense, he commends and proves that love to us every day and we need that. For our security. God loves me whether anybody else does or not. God loves me. And he doesn't love me for what I've done. He loves me because of my justification. His pronouncement. 
He will not retract his death on our behalf. That same verse 8 says, God commendeth his love toward us, and watch this, in that while we were yet sinners, not after we walked the church aisle and made a profession of faith, but while we were yet sinners and ungodly and without strength, Christ died for us. He never died for a good man. He always died for the bad people. That's why you got to be bad before you can ever be good. Good people go to hell. Bad people go to heaven. Yes, sir. He'll not retract his death on our behalf. I love the statement, Christ died for us. Not for everybody, not for them. Christ died for us. He cannot undie. How do you undie? The debt has been paid. Once a bill is paid, you cannot unpay it to get your money back. Let me repeat that. Once a bill is paid, you cannot unpay it to get your money back. But what you get is a receipt that's marked paid in full. He'll not retract his death on our behalf. Number three, he will not retract the reconciliation which we have in our possession. Look at verse number 11. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. I am not here to criticize the Word of God. I am here sometimes to look at the translations that we have. The word atonement is a Hebrew word. And you won't find it in the New Testament. Because it's an Old Testament principle meaning to cover. When the priest would go behind the veil and take the blood of an animal and sprinkle it on the mercy seat, it was called an atonement because the blood covered the sin. Well, if it's not atonement, what is it? In the margin of my Bible, and should be in the margin of your Bible, it says, or reconciliation. Now, reconciliation is entirely a different Greek word. There is no Greek word for atonement. It is a Hebrew word. But what I'm saying is this, whether you call it atonement or reconciliation, we have experienced it. He will not retract the reconciliation which we have in our possession Now we've received the atonement. Can you imagine when those Jews on the day of atonement got up, they looked so forward to finding that high priest who would take the blood of an animal and go behind the veil into the Holy of Holies. Nobody could see what he was doing. He told them what he was going to do, but nobody was in that place except God himself. And when he came out, that meant that God had received the atonement. Folk, we have received the atonement. Now the Roman Catholic Church had Martin Luther climbing up the scales of penance 
on ground pieces of glass so he could pay for his sin. He could never have paid for his sins by any penance that he did. And you and I can't absolve our sinful condition by anything we do by way of penance. Well, I, I tell you what, I'm not going to eat a beef on Friday or what is it? What are you supposed to eat on Friday? I eat anything on Friday. What am I talking about? People have their own little do's and don'ts. If I can be low enough and miserable enough and deprive myself enough, God sure is going to, he'll register that. No, God won't register that. The only thing that's pleasing in the sight of God is the death of his son, Jesus Christ, who died for sinners and ungodly people. The believer will never have to face the wrath of God. Ponder that a moment. Look at verse number 9. How much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. We are facing some days of wrath today. In this generation, I tell you what, it's hard for me to see and to read and to acknowledge what's going on today without seeing that God Almighty is a little bit upset with us. But there's coming a time called the day of the Lord when God will come and execute his vengeance on this world. It's called the wrath of God. That's never happened before, but it's going to happen. The world was destroyed by water in Noah's day, but it will be destroyed by fire in our day. But you know what? If you've been justified by faith, you got security. Yeah, you got insurance policy. You sure do. It's called the Holy Bible. And I can be sure that I'll never have to face the wrath of God because I've been justified by faith in Him. The believer will never have to face the wrath of God. John 3.36 tells us that he that believeth on the Son, let me read it for you. John chapter 3, verse number 36. I sure don't want to not, I do not wish to misquote that. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son of God shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. That's present tense. The wrath abides on ungodly people today, but it doesn't abide on those who've been justified by faith. Not God's wrath. The believer will never have to face the wrath of God. It's the blood of Christ that keeps us from the wrath of God. Is not what that says? It's the blood of Christ that keeps us from the wrath of God. Again in verse number 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. The death angel passed over in Egypt, the homes of the elect of God, and paused long enough to pronounce condemnation and death on the home of the Egyptians. And the only way they escaped it was taking the blood of an animal and splattering it 
on the door lintels and on the threshold of the home. And when the death angel passed over and saw the blood, we have a song and we sing it in our church. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. We don't have to worry about the wrath of God. And the last thing, our salvation comes from his life. Our salvation comes from his life and he will never die again. Please notice carefully the wording in verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled unto God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now what does that mean? We shall be saved by his life. Though the resurrection of Jesus Christ is all important in establishing the nature of God Almighty incarnate in Christ Jesus, I don't think he's talking about the point of the resurrection. I think he's talking about what the Lord has been doing for his people for the last 2,000 years. Not only did he come forth from the dead, but he left this earth and he went to heaven and he's at the Father's right hand making intercession for us. And listen carefully, if he were not there making intercession for us, we could not rejoice in our salvation. I have several things I want to say about that. Christ lives in heaven making intercession for us. You say, well, Brother Kozar, why we need intercession? You know why we do. Huh? In the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. Hebrews, chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. He's talking about Jesus Christ. He has an unchangeable priesthood. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He is our high priest making intercession for us even in this hour. And the generation who lived before we were ever born, my dear friend, those elect of God who had been justified, they have this same priest that we have making intercession for us. Let me give you another one in Romans chapter 8. And we were over there in chapter 5, verse Chapter 8, verse number 34. Now watch this. Who is he that condemneth? Now, in the margin of my Bible, I got about four who's here. Four questions that are raised. You have who number one in verse number 31. What shall we say to these things if God be for us? Who can be against us? The second who is verse number 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifieth. In verse number 34 is the third who. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather that is risen again, 
who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. And then that glorious fourth who, verse 35, who can separate us from the love of Christ? That's security, dear friend. That's security. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. That word advocate is the Greek word parakletos. You read of the parakletos when Christ said, If I go, I'll send the comforter unto you. The word comforter is parakletos, attorney. You know what? We not only have one attorney working our case, we have two attorneys working our case. The Holy Spirit works our case as our intercessor on this earth. Jesus Christ works our case as our intercessor up in heaven. Hey, you don't believe that, do you? In that same eighth chapter of the book of Romans, in verse 16, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. And if heirs of God, then join heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be in us. In that 8th chapter, I'm looking for the verse. And I believe it's in verse uh, 34, which I just read for you. But before you ever get there, look at verse number 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints. What is intercession? It's somebody that goes to bat for you. It's somebody that runs interference for you. It's somebody, my dear friends, who stands between you and failure. And it is the Holy Spirit on this earth. And the Lord, when he left this earth, said, He'll, I'll send him unto you. He is our advocate on this earth. The Holy Spirit. That's why when we do things that are wrong, our conscience bothers us. The Holy Spirit. That's the reason Paul said to one of his, in one of his epistles, Grieve not the Spirit. Quench not the Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives in you and He lives in me and He intercedes for us on this earth. But we also are saved by Christ's life. He intercedes for us in heaven. 
Can you imagine? Can you imagine what would happen to believers if the Lord hung a sign up in heaven and said, intercession has stopped. Every false motive, every wrong word, every ungodly deed, everything we do, whether in the body or in the spirit, no intercession. I have an intercession with Christ. He's an everlasting priesthood. Saved by his life. What security? We shall live as long as he lives. How long is he going to live? He'll never die again. And as long as he lives, we have that promise that we've been justified by faith in him. And that gives us life and it gives us security. You say, oh, boy, I wish I hadn't have said that. He knows that. He said, man, I wish I hadn't have done that. He knows that. He said, well, I wish I hadn't have thought that. But he knows that. And in spite of knowing it, he loves you and pronounces that you are righteous by your faith in Christ Jesus based on what Christ did for us. We'll get into that next week. Let's stand, please, for prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we're not able...